When Mitra was 15, she went to a dance, and she wrote about it in her journal. Tuesday 11th, the prefect's ball, at which I was bored and horrified. My bra showed through the ultraviolet disco light. I wore a brown shirt, fairly thin, with a white bra, and the light made the white bra glow. It did explain why boys who never said a word to me wanted to dance with me all of a sudden. Most embarrassing and all so superficial. I don't think I'd like to go again. I couldn't stand it. It was so deadly boring. That's Mitra reading from her teenage journal. I'm Dan Meisner, and this, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing tonight? It's very, very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Victoria, B.C., we have a mock scientific essay, a dangerous trip to an active volcano, misanthropic poetry, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and like an ultraviolet light, it can be revealing. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. When Kirsten was in grade six, she kept a creative writing notebook. And at our Victoria show, she shared a short story entitled The Birth of a Volcano. It's all about a news reporter with a pilot's license who gets a very exciting and very dangerous assignment. Live on stage in Victoria, here's Kirsten. The Birth of a Volcano. Fly my plane to the volcano and make a coverage of it for station KITG. That was my assignment. I had three people in the back who had come along for the ride. Almost there, I announced to them. Some dumb assignment. I should have stayed in New York and reported that fire. Here we are, I reported. I circled around the volcano a few times and started to record. Hot, thick lava, dot, 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 etc. I went on. I noticed a little shack. It's about to be covered with lava. That should be neat. (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. There's an old man there. He starts to run. Does he expect to run away from that lava? What a nut. (laughs) It's catching up. Oh my gosh, he tripped. Lava's enclosing his body. Bones are quickly being melted into syrup. (laughs) Boy, this is good. (laughs) I now announce to my passengers, we will go to the village and see what's happening there. The lava is now traveling almost as fast as we are. Corpses. They're lying all over the place. Talk about pollution. (laughs) Ha! Look 
at that lady there. Her kid just got cooked. <laughs> this kind of stuff's too boring for me. I told the passengers, we're going to return now. They wanted to see the volcano again, so I flew in that direction. I was now over the volcano. Oh my gosh. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, dot, dot, dot. The volcano. Dot, dot, dot. It's erupting, I screamed. Straight up. Dot, dot, dot. Fire. Dot, dot, dot. Lava. Dot, dot, dot. Rocks. Dot, dot, dot. Pain. Help. Help. I looked back to the passengers. The tail was mostly crushed. I saw blood dripping from the ceiling. Oh, no. Fire. Coming. Closer. Pain. Pain. Help. Someone. Arrgh. The end. going to remind everybody who didn't catch it off the top, Kirsten wrote that in grade six. That got very dark very quickly. At Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, I love it when a reading is both entertaining and educational. Our next reader, Doug, shared a piece of writing from when he was 16. And on the surface, it sounds like it's going to be educational. It's a scientific essay written when Doug was in high school. But the thing you need to know about Doug's scientific essay is that he didn't write it for school. Instead, he wrote it in response to school. It is a mock scientific essay with what he describes as wildly random subjects. Please welcome the highly scientific Doug to our stage. Essay number one, athletics, home movies, blackberrying, Cezanne, dog shows, English kings, Forensic medicine, snowmobiles, genesis, whole numbers, sound waves, and seismography. If you're asking yourself what the subjects above have in common, you show a great interest in things which have no personal affiliation to your own case. In fact, the subjects do not have anything in common save for the fact that they are all listed on the same piece of paper. <clears throat> this factor, however, as you will see, has no bearing on what this essay is going to point out. <clears throat> First, let us put the list in some sort of order. We can group them into quartets, there being 12. Group one, shall we say, will be comprised of Athletics, snowmobiling, blackberrying, and seismography, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Group two will consist of home movies, Cezanne, 
English Kings and Genesis. Group three will be dog shows, forensic medicine, whole numbers, and sound waves. Now that the subjects have been herded together with their most closely connected relatives, we can see how inaccurate it was to say they had nothing in common. <laughs> Let us now begin the essay. <laughs> Group one is redundant. <laughs> Snowmobiling and athletics just aren't compatible in any sense. Oh, sure, I know what you're saying. They both deal with motion and velocity. Well, I say that's rubbish. Snowmobiles exercise only those muscles which are needed for support and stability in a moving object. Depending on how fast the snowmobile goes, the muscles that are exercised are only the pectoralis major and the latissimus dorsi. Sometimes the biceps brachii are used if the snowmobile is traveling on a rough surface. <laughs> on the other hand, athletics are designed with exercise as a leading factor in both preparation and development. The list of muscles which are used in even the most simple athletic activity far outweighs that of the snowmobiles. Furthermore, the majority of physical laws require some slight alteration to make them invariant under the Lorentz transformation. I made that up. <laughs> now we must examine the remaining two subjects of group one, black burying and seismography. These two may appear at first to have nothing in common whatsoever, but upon cru closer scrutiny, we will see that they have almost nothing dissimilar between them. They both deal with a natural combination of the earth and its compositional formation and sustenance and natural phenomena. In our case, this is plate tectonics and plant development. <laughs> seismography is the practice of using a seismograph with which it is possible to register the shocks and motions of earthquakes and to determine where they arise. It is also possible to obtain much valuable information through, about the strata through which the earthquake waves must pass. Blackberrying is the practice of using a human hand which, with which it is possible to register the taste and aroma of blackberries and to determine where they arise. It is also possible to obtain much valuable information about the strata through which the blackberry roots pass. We are starting to see the remarkable similarities. <laughs> Blackberries are best described as an aggregate fruit because they are produced from many pistils in a single flower, while simple fruits arise from but a single pistil in a flower. Blackberries are of the class of plants known as angiosperms. Seismographs are best described as aggregate devices because they are, were invented by many seismologists in a single effort, while simple, simple devices arise from but a single inventor in an effort. <laughs> Seismographs are of the family of devices known as seismogeosperms. <laughs> now that the intersecting course of interest within group one has been exhausted, we can move on to group two. But I've run out of time. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Well, I feel smarter. <laughs> mm. 
Not everything we hear at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is funny. Some of it deals with the more difficult parts of growing up, including death. Our next reader, Jessica, shared an excerpt from the diary she kept at 11 years old, all about the death of her pet rabbit. January 12th, 1994. Yesterday night, something terribly sad happened. Caramel died. I'm very sad. She was six years old. Her description, brown and white, light pink nose, brown eyes, very quiet, beautiful and loving. A lot of special moments happened to her. Here's the list. One. When we first got her, she got loose, and two dogs chased her around our house into our neighbor's yard. I finally caught her, but she broke her nail. Two. When my mom was in Greece, and my sister and I were visiting our grandma, she was taken to the vets. I don't know why, but she was. (laughs) Three. One day, we had a bag of shredded paper in the garage. Well, she got loose and got stuck. When my grandma heard a noise, we realized she was caught. She could have suffocated. Four. (laughs) Last year, 1993, for Christmas, Caramel was getting rabbit sat by my friend Katie. Then on January 11th, 1994, it happened. The words my father spoke are still ringing clear in my head. Girls, there's something I have to tell you. Caramel's dead. (laughs) I just don't believe it. I never thought she would die. Adorable is not a big enough word for her. She is nothing that words can explain. She was too, too, I can't explain it. All I want is another pet, preferably a rabbit that looks and feels like caramel. (laughs) But that's practically impossible. I used to dream that one day she would sneak out of her cage and come and sleep with me. And also that in the winter, she would pull me to school in a little sleigh. (laughs) So much for those dreams. See you in heaven, Caramel. I will never forget you. Nothing could replace my love for you. Love, your best human friend, Jessica. I'm sorry I never gave you much attention. I'll miss you. you're a teenager, it's easy to feel like an outsider, like you don't belong, like you're different from everybody else. One of the things I find most powerful about sharing diary entries or journals or other types of private or secret writing is this realization that so many of us felt that way growing up. It's comforting to realize years later that you aren't the only one to feel that way. But at the same time, it's kind of sad too. When Carolyn was 16, she kept a diary, a private diary, 
And at our Victoria show, she shared a few selections, all about feeling like she didn't quite fit in. September 24th, 1981. Today in English class, we had to read aloud. I'm petrified to be next. I know that my face will turn red and my voice will crack. Through my mind echoes the word inferior, 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 it echoes. It's so loud. I'm so alone. Get me out of here. I bite my lip so hard it bleeds. And then I'm saved by the bell. But I can't keep this up. We only had to write two paragraphs about a dream. Here's what I wrote. I'm naked, floating, (laughs) floating high in the air. My skin cracks and slowly peels off my body, pulled by some invisible force, and piece by piece it plummets through the expanse of blue, smashing like meteorites on the solid earth below. I watch without fear or wonder as this layer finally frees itself from my body, and then, like a skydiver in reverse, I shoot up through the clouds. I'm weightless, I'm permeable, I'm a tiny part of the sky and wind and clouds. I'm free. Writing it gave me a magical, powerful feeling, like I really experienced it. But if I could only speak up more, it would prove to the jerks and robots that I'm not a total idiot. (laughs) Yesterday, Otis came up to me in the hallway and said, you resemble a stick. (laughs) What does that even mean? (laughs) That I'm skinny? Well, I have boobs, but I guess I don't show them. I mean, why should I? So infants like him can slobber all over themselves? I wish I could be nonchalant. I wish I had a snappy comeback. But there I was, like a statue, stiff, doing nothing and turning red. I'm so frustrated. I remember in grade one, standing outside at recess, leaning against the cold, pale, yellow, stucco wall of the school, hands behind my back, unsmiling, waiting for the bell and watching the other girls, envying them. They thought I was deaf. I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to play, but I just couldn't. So my teacher sent me to a child psychologist for being antisocial. I hated Dr. Klein's stupid, fake smile. He watched me all the time while pretending to play Monopoly with me. I humored him and played along because it was better than being at school. October 16th. I got A's on my poetry so far. Somehow, when I give myself enough time, I can translate the language of my real self into English. If I could only just act like myself. No, not act, just be. I must take chances. December 5th. I had fun in choir today with a girl named Chris. She's different. She's totally not a robot. She plays electric guitar and smokes and says whatever she feels like. She's hilarious and charming and gives the best hugs, only partially thanks to her huge boobs. (laughs) But mostly due to her carefree and affectionate manner. We were singing Christmas carols and messed up the words on purpose. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Pig. (laughs) We had a total spaz attack and got kicked out. Kicked out! It was fantastic. (laughs) April 30th, 1982. I bleached my bangs, sewed up my jeans along the sides to make them skin tight, and wore my dad's army jacket to go out with Chris last night to an all-ages show. 
It was amazing, and there were kids there who didn't seem to think I was a goof. Punk rock is today's revolution, and I am part of it. <laughs> After, we were waiting for the bus home, and this old guy walks up to us and says, what you girls doing? Not much, I said. Got any time, he said. Chris laughed and blew smoke rings at his face. I guess he thought we were hookers. I didn't know whether to take it as a put-down or a compliment. May 7th. Tomorrow is parent-teacher day. Mom and Dad want to go find out why my grades are so low. How would my teachers know? I can explain. I just don't have time for schoolwork. I'm busy furthering my personal and social development. Finally. Thank you. After the show, Carolyn called in to reflect on her teenage diary. I'd expected to laugh at my writing because I knew I was naive in a lot of ways, but I found it really poignant, and I was impressed at how blunt I was about my feelings and how insightful I was about my own issues and motivations. I was a lot taller than my classmates, and I wore handmade clothes, and I had bad skin, so I felt like I really stood out. There was this paradoxical longing both to just disappear and to be seen deeply by even just one intimate friend who thought I was cool. And now it was happening, and I was hanging out with this super extrovert and taking risks, and I knew it was really healthy and really healing for me. So if I could go back and talk to my teenage self, I would say something you may not know is that quite a few people actually think you're cool but they don't know how to tell you. And just like you are, they're caught up in their own stuff. (laughs) So just keep going out on a limb as often as you can manage it and stop caring what everybody else thinks. And this is still what I tell myself. And finally, at the age of 50-something, I feel like I'm living more and more in that carefree place. No regrets. Poetry is always popular at grown-ups who think they wrote as kids, especially angsty teenage poetry. And our next reader, Zebariah, brought exactly that. Live on stage in Victoria, here's Zebariah reading poetry written at 15 years old, a time in his life when he says he was a bit of a misanthrope and a little bit heartsick. Uh, so this first piece is titled Heart, Life, Crow, Girl. In the cold hollows of my heart, the black crow sings a cold and lonely song of the girl who doesn't notice, of the girl who doesn't care, of the girl who sheds no tears, of the girl who holds my heart in her hands. Here, in the cold hollows of my soul, where the black crow sings a cold and depthless song of the girl who holds my heart. Um, This one's titled Alone. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. 
I just found these a couple of weeks ago. So, <clears throat> Death often talks to me. He tells me of his day's work as though it's something unknown. I could read the paper and see enough of his work, but I don't. It's much better hearing it from him. His leering visage, eerie. I ask him when it will be my time to go, and he says, I'll go when it's my time to go. No sooner, no later, I scowl at him. He grins at me. I touched his scythe last time. I was diagnosed that week with cancer of the brain. A tumor. I don't see him for six months. He finally comes when I'm in the hospital. He apologizes. I accept his apology. We talk. He tells me that he will make, take me as painlessly as possible. I can't believe it. Death is my friend. I catch a glimpse of something out of the corner of my eye. I turn to see what it is, and when I turn back, his scythe is coming down. I die in the presence of my friend, my lonely friend, death. <clears throat> okay, this one's uh, titled Space. Stop it, you're scaring me, says my friend, when I explain to him about space. Cold, dark, still, empty, dead, timeless, motionless, tearless, soundless, voiceless, lifeless, all too much like my very own heart. <laughs> Are the depthless expanses of space. Thank you very much. Well, that was cheery. <laughs> Sometimes families move from home to home, from city to city, from country to country. And as anybody who's done it knows, moving can be stressful especially for kids. Our next reader, Julia, shared a diary entry she wrote when she was 11. And at the time, her family had moved from Alberta to British Columbia. We're going to hear a little bit about that. Please welcome Julia to our stage. July 29th, 1998. Wednesday. I am leaving Edmonton to go to Vancouver on Friday, but unlike the many other trips I have made to that destination this time, I'm not coming back. My residency in Edmonton is coming to a close. Edmonton will no longer be the place that I can call home to my body, only to my heart. <laughs> my whole house is packed and all of my possessions are closed in boxes, never to see the light of Edmonton again. Pretty poetic, don't you think? But that's what I feel, just said in a very graceful way. <laughs> in simpler terms, I'm moving to Vancouver, and I don't want to. <laughs> July 31st, on the road, my journey to my future home has begun. We, pitched, we picked up a hitchhiker named Kirk. <laughs> he seems nice. Mom let him drive so she could have a nap. 
I'm sitting in a truck with a five-ton capacity. The ride is bumpy, so excuse my printing. We're past Jasper now, which is where we dropped off Kirk. (laughs) We are in BC, by the way. When we passed the border, I had a wave of sadness and longing. I think that mom is probably too tired to drive. Thank you. Now, what Julia does not know, and this took some work, but we managed to track down Kirk, and he is sitting in the back. I'm joking. Victoria, that has been Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Huge round of applause for all of the readers tonight. So, so, so good. Thank you to all of you for coming to listen. Thank you to Ben for doing sound tonight. Everybody sounded really, really good. Thank you to everybody here at the Victoria Event Center. Thank you to my wife, Jenna. Thank you to me, Dan Meisner. Stick around, say hello, get home safe, and then dig up your own kid writing. We will see you soon, Victoria. Good night. Boy, this is good.